everyone. This is Mike Lindstedt, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project. And you are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. Well, we're back on our series entitled Biblical Answers to Modern Issues. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 6 through 20 today. Me and Pastor Chad spent a lot of time in last week's episode really developing the context for our subject today, which is surrounding the gift of tongues once again. Mm-hmm. And Chad, I'm really grateful that we laid the foundation that we did because there's so much confusion yeah. surrounding this particular gift. You know, it's interesting to me as we were talking about it, just thinking about how this is this was something used by God for a particular purpose, but how just like everything else, Satan takes it and distorts it and uses it for um, deception and for confusion. Yeah. And we see it in our text that Paul's dealing with it in the Corinthian church, but it's the same type of dealings that we have today that many people are led astray and confused by these gifts, especially the gift of tongues. That's right. And to make matters worse, there are pastors, quote unquote, there are teachers in the church that are claiming that these gifts are absolutely necessary for salvation. Mm-hmm. They are literally putting a stumbling block in front of people. Yeah. They are, like the Pharisees did, keeping people out of the kingdom of God yeah. by laying a burden on their shoulders that they can't bear. You know, Like we've right. already read in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says in the rhetorical questioning, he says, do all speak with tongues? Obviously no, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, it's it's really quite something to see how the Bible addresses these false teachers. I mean, listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. This is the Apostle Paul again, talking about false teachers. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Mm. The reality is this, is that there is a counterfeit gift yeah. in the church. Mm-hmm. There always has been. And in last week's episode, we actually looked at the history of what is known as ecstatic utterances. Mm-hmm. These ecstatic utterances are actually addressed in this text. You'll remember from last week that there was a grammatical sort of, as I said, uh, what nugget or <laughs> something like that. <laughs> There's a grammatical um, piece of importance here uh, where Paul uses the singular when he's referring to tongues uh, to specifically refer to ecstatic utterances. And this is going to be found in a number of verses. Let me see if I can find them here in my notes. So when Paul uses the singular usage, uh, the Old King James Version actually translates it as unknown tongues, which is I think a phenomenal translation because it's so much more clear than having to differentiate between the singular usage and the plural usage of the word tongues. But you can see uh, the unknown tongues in verse 2, verse 4, verse 13, verse 14, verse 19, and verse 27. Now, I'm going to be reading from the ESV today, so you won't hear the word unknown tongues. It'll just be in the singular. So when I see that, I will just try to say ecstatic utterances. But if you're studying at home, Just keep that grammatical note in your mind. But we also looked at in last week's episode, the history surrounding this false gift. And Mm. the reason why that's important, guys and girls listening, 
is if you are in the church and you are in a church that practices these sorts of counterfeit gifts, just know that what you're witnessing is not unique to Christianity, Mm-mm. okay? This was going on in Paul's day. That's why Paul has to combat it. Um, and in fact, the famous philosopher Philo, if I got that right, no, I'm sorry, Plato, um, has written tremendously in his dialogue about this ecstatic utterance gift being very common in pagan worship ceremonies. And so we have to understand first and foremost that Satan always wants to counterfeit what God is doing. He is a master marketer. He is a deceiver and he's been a deceiver from the beginning. He is always trying to pull the children of God away from the true worship of their God. And he's effective at it sometimes. And so we have to understand that from the outset. And secondarily, just because something is occurring around you in a meeting place with other believers that seems to be supernatural and very well might be supernatural, doesn't mean necessarily that it's from Mm -hmm. God. Remember in Exodus, right? Yeah, we saw it there. We saw it. uh, I I went to 1 Kings when Elijah has a standoff with the prophets of Baal. Yeah. And when they put both their bulls on the altars, the practice of the prophets of Baal was to jump around, cry aloud, cut themselves, make all sorts of noise yeah, and to a false god. So like what Mike's saying is this is common practice among pagan worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's very important for us then to ask ourselves, is this truly what the Bible says? And is this true of true worship of the one true God. Mm-hmm. That's what Paul's trying to argue and trying to help us see because we're easily deceived. Yeah. You know, Satan comes to the angel of light. He is going to distort the truth. And the Christianity is a, a faith of intellect, mm-hmm. of knowledge, of understanding of truth. Everything comes out of our beliefs, not of sensuality, not of not experiential, although mm-hmm. we do experience a relationship with God, it's experienced when our minds are renewed rightly in the scriptures and understand the truth of God's word. Mm -hmm. And so there's also a common practice today amongst many churches that's very sensual, very experiential, very much uh, to get oneself worked up in a a way of feeling something Mm -hmm. that's not true. Right. And that's very dangerous. Yeah, and um, I was listening to John MacArthur talk about this issue. Um, and he's done a lot of good work on on mm-hmm. unveiling the differences. Yeah. Uh, if you guys are interested in reading a book called Strange Fire, yeah. I would really recommend that book. That's a phenomenal book. Um, and he was talking about how during Paul's time, um, this this desire to to reach a state of ecstasy, right, mm-hmm. which we mentioned last week, mm-hmm. where you know the the worshiper of let's just say the god of the god Aphrodite, for example, right? Yeah would have this outer body type of experience, right? Mm-hmm. And they would uh, evidence this by, you know, speaking in these unknown ecstatic utterances. Right. Uh, the word that was used to describe uh, this sort of practice mm-hmm. um, and, the, and the, the, the sensuous state associated with it was eros. You know, this was a word that was um, really used to describe sensual base love, you know. You know, it's interesting how the world actually 
by and large would relate with that as being true love, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, she makes me feel such a great way, you know? Yeah, yeah. She makes me feel like me, right? Yeah. She brings out the best in me, right? Et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And of course, we've done so many podcasts on the differences between Eros and Agape. We won't go into that today, but why I'm bringing that up is because so many mainline churches today really have uh, forsaken this desire to worship God with all of their mind. Mm-hmm. And they've they've really just said, you know what? That's like, we're not doing that. What we need to do is really feel God. We mm-hmm. need to experience Jesus, right? You often hear that mm-hmm. term. You know, I, when I first met Jesus, right? Yeah. It's like, when you first met Jesus, how did you meet him? Like, like what does that really practically mean, right? Right. Um, you know, biblical salvation never describes um, salvation in those terms, right? Mm-hmm. People met Jesus, but they didn't always get saved. Yeah, right. <laughs> there were many people who met Jesus and hated him, right? right? So, um, and I'm not splitting hairs here. No. I mean, I'm making an observation of what's going on in our church culture nowadays. Yeah, salvation is believing in Jesus. That's right, yeah. in the biblical Jesus. You and know who and, he is. And so often... Um, the men that he called to follow him, uh, when they truly saw him for who he was, they were terrified. They were terrified. You know, I'm reminded of Peter when he was on his boat and they were up all night trying to catch fish and didn't catch a thing, right? These are seasoned, experienced fishermen. Mm-hmm. They know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And they, they come to shore and Jesus goes, did you guys catch anything, right? And they go, no, we didn't catch anything. He goes, go back out, throw your net over the side of the boat. You're gonna make a catch. And Peter goes, all right, Lord, just because you're Lord, I'll do it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, just totally condescendingly like, okay, you're not a fisherman, I'm the professional, <laughs> but because of who you are, I'll do it, right? And what happens, right? Yeah, he can't even pull it in. It's the biggest catch of his life, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And what does Peter say? Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Mm. Depart from me, Lord. He finally saw Jesus for who he was, he's God, Yeah. right? Again, I'm reminded of, when uh, Jesus told his disciples to get in the boat, we're going to cross over and we're going to go to the other side of the, the, the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is sleeping. Yeah, He's exhausted and he's just sleeping. It's like a tumultuous uh, storm going on. And yeah. all the disciples are like, oh, we're going to die. Yeah, And they go wake him up and he just gets up and he goes over the ocean and he goes, shh. Yeah. And the ocean just stops. And they're all like, oh. And they're like, <laughs> they are terrified. Yeah. Imagine that, you yeah. know? So why am I bringing this up? Because the the modern notion of how somebody is saved has been thoroughly disconnected from the mind. Yeah. And it's all about how you feel about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you how the original recipients of salvation felt about Jesus when they realized who he was. They're scared, stiff. Yeah. All fear, right. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, right, is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. And so... I think that's um, a great place to set the context. Mm -hmm. Before we exposit the text, I wanna just get into some of the most frequently asked questions surrounding this gift of tongues. And this is according to the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary. It's a phenomenal resource. I've used it tons when I'm preparing for sermons or for this podcast. But here's just a couple of key questions surrounding this New Testament practice of tongues. Question number one, it says, is the gift only for the New Testament times or is it also for the church all throughout history? As noted above in the previous section of the dictionary, tongues in the New Testament has three functions. Number one, to show the progress of the gift of the spirit to the various people groups in the book of Acts in salvation history. Number two, as a way of revealing the content of New Testament revelation, and we're gonna see a little bit of that today in our section, 
Number three, as a means of communicating cross-linguistically. And mm -hmm. we talked about this last week, how there has been um, anecdotal evidence of missionaries overseas actually utilizing the biblical gift of tongues where they don't know how to speak a language, let's say to some obscure tribe in the Amazon jungle. And for the purposes of declaring the mighty works of God in salvation, God quickens their mouth and they're able to speak in an actual known language to an actual people group who mm -hmm. understands it and then responds in some sort of salvific way. Yeah. So we'll talk about that more in just one second. But those first two uh, reasons that I gave, uh, they don't really have any applicable purpose any longer since the gospel has gone out into the entire world. Therefore, there's no real reason for tongues being a way to reveal New Testament revelation. Yeah. Um, and the canon of scripture is complete. Again, there's no real new revelation. Uh, this kind of goes back to our prophecy. You know, yeah. if you ever want to say, thus says the Lord, you quote scripture. Right. Because that's where God speaks, mm -hmm. right? If you say, thus says the Lord, and you don't quote scripture, it's probably not God speaking. Mm -hmm. You have no way to objectively prove that, right? Yeah. There are, there are things that the Bible says, if someone does say that, must happen in order to verify it. But basically, if someone says, thus says the Lord, and they don't quote scripture, whatever they're saying has to happen, mm -hmm. right? Um, moving on to the, the next question in the Holman Bible Dictionary, it says, number two is tongues speech, the sign of spirit baptism. And we talked, that was the whole purpose of last week's podcast. You know, do you have to speak in tongues to be saved? Mm -hmm. Emphatically, no, right? The apostle Paul didn't speak in tongues at his salvation. The 5,000 believers in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, they didn't speak in tongues, right? We went, we went down that list. Mm -hmm. Okay, number three, ought all persons to speak in tongues are, in other words, is everyone's, you know, supposed to have this gift, which Paul um, answers emphatically, no, in 1 Corinthians 12, 30, like I stated earlier in this podcast. Mm -hmm. Number four, is modern tongues supposed to be languages or ecstatic utterance? So in other words, is the gift, supposed gift today, somehow changed from its original intention? Mm -hmm. um, and the answer that they provide here, it says, this article has argued that there is no compelling reason to believe that ecstatic utterance is the same thing as the biblical gift of tongues, which again was the purpose of last week's podcast mm -hmm. to bring to your understanding that ecstatic utterances is not unique to Christianity, nor is it the Holy Spirit empowered gift. Mm -hmm. That is a different thing entirely. Mm -hmm. Number five, it says, is there such a thing as a private prayer language? And we're going to kind of hammer on this one today because that's a very popular one nowadays in Foursquare denomination churches and Pentecostal movements and charismatic movements, et cetera. Um, and here's what the Bible dictionary says. People certainly do pray in tongues, but nothing in the text authorizes a private prayer language. Though Paul mentions praying with reference to tongues in 1 Corinthians 14, verse two, verses 14 through 15, the entire context is one of public worship, not private prayer. Such tongue speech comes under the guidance of the entire chapter in the governing of public tongues. So in, in other words, if somebody uses 1 Corinthians 14 to provide some sort of biblical proof for tongues being a private prayer language, they have completely and utterly missed the point of what Paul is saying. Mm -hmm. And that will be crystal clear to you by the time we're done with today's podcast. 
The sixth uh, most frequently asked question in the Bible dictionary is this. Might tongues speech be demonic? And we talked about this last week. It might be, mm-hmm. right? There's no way for us to objectively know that. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose there could be, but <laughs> there's nothing in the Bible that gives us just a clear indication that this tongues is demonic. Yeah. But it might be, right? Remember, we said that the enemy can counterfeit God's good gifts. But just a side note, according to the biblical dictionary, it says this, but even in cases where someone's quote tongues does not match the biblical criteria, the experience might not be demonic. It is possible for persons to tap into a basic ability that all have to engage in such linguistic free discourse. In other words, it's possible for people to go like this, you know, that's what they're saying. It would not be, quote, the same thing as the biblical gift of tongues, and it would not be miraculous. Yeah. But it might still be done reverently. I don't know how that would be reverent, but (laughs) why not, right? I think this author is just kind of going, sure, why not? Yeah. Okay, the final question is, is it possible for one to receive a gift of languages for the purpose of evangelism? Now, this one goes back to the missionary sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Here's what the answer is. No one would wish to limit God's ability to grant such a gift. There are stories of such events from the mission field, though undoubtedly some of them have been embellished. It is also the case that all Pentecostal groups that send missionaries send them for language training first. So in other words, good missionary practice is to learn the language. Is to learn the language uh, of the people group to which you're being sent to before you go. Right. You don't want to test the Lord. Right, because right. uh, we've already learned that the Lord doesn't give everyone this gift. So right. just because you feel called to be a missionary doesn't mean you should go over there hoping that he just miraculously allows you to speak in their language. Yes, don't test God. That is a sin. And it's not likely that he will. It's yeah. likely that you would do it through the means of learning the language and then sharing the word of God in their language. Yeah. Okay, so that's just a little bit of notation before we get in. Some mm-hmm. background and some review. Let's exposit the text, right? Let's go to the word of God. Today, we're gonna be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses six through 20. Chad, why don't I just go ahead and read the first, I don't know, 10 verses or so. I'll stop at verse 15 and you pick up at verses 16 through 20. All right. It says this, now brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. Mm -hmm. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of a language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Well, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but... I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of the outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? 
For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. You want me hmm. to continue to go on? No, that's a good place to stop there. Okay. Okay, so just a quick context reminder. This is coming off of the back of the chapter on love. And mm-hmm. Paul said basically in verse one of chapter 14, that love will never come down from its high and lofty place in the kingdom of God. So above all other things, pursue love like you're trying to persecute it. Go after love with everything that you have. But also, and I love his pastoral yeah. tone, even though he's being sarcastic in our text today, he's still being a good pastor. Mm-hmm he is not trying to discourage their enthusiasm. Yeah. And he's, he's just trying to point yeah. it in the right direction. And he's not being sarcastic in terms of joking at their expense. He's trying to build an argument and make a point. Sometimes you have to call out the obvious things um, in a silly way to show the the, fall- the falsehood yeah. of the logic, right? Mm-hmm. So he's trying to be very logical, actually, in, in this text by using some some uh, sarcasm, if you will. Because mm-hmm. remember, everything comes back to belief. It comes back to the mind. And belief, just to give a definition, I think I've said it on here before, but a simple definition for belief is knowledge with trust. Mm. So knowing what the Word of God says and trusting it to be true is the backbone of our faith, the belief in Christ, the the order of repenting even. Repenting and believing is a uh, logical, um, belief-driven, academic uh, process, right? Knowing that what you're doing is sinful mm-hmm. because of what God's Word says. Renewing your mind in the truth of God's Word and then believing in it and acting upon it in obedience because you mm-hmm. believe it. That's repentance, which is the crux of our faith. So mm-hmm. what Paul is saying here is the whole point of the ministry of the church is to proclaim the truth of God's word, to preach mm-hmm. the gospel, to speak the truth. So if it's unintelligible, how is this beneficial to anyone? Right. What are we doing? Basically right. is what he's saying. Yeah, and, and that is a really great place to just remind people of the overall purpose of spiritual gifts, right? It's the building yeah, up of the body. Absolutely. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10 Verse 24, Paul explicitly says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor, mm-hmm. right? And then he, that, that is stated before our section today, and it flows into again in verse five. When p- comparing prophecy to tongues, Paul says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. And remember, we define prophecy mm-hmm. as foretelling the mind of God, right? Just displaying the mind of God about a given situation according to his revealed word. Paul goes on to say, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. I love how he adds that because mm-hmm. effectively, when you interpret tongues, all you're doing is now prophesying. <laughs> right. So it's like, yes, you have this supernatural gift, but once it's interpreted, it goes into this category primarily, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And then he ends his statement, so that, or for the purposes of, yeah. the church being built up. That is the entire purpose of spiritual gifts, that mm-hmm. um, the church will be built up 
uh, into the matureness and mature manhood, as Paul says in Ephesians, of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that we would all be united in the same faith by the same spirit because we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And ultimately, any spiritual gifting is given for that purpose. Right. And so Paul has to be sarcastic because these, these Corinthians are extremely zealous for these spiritual gifts. If you have your Bible, look at verse 12 of our section today. He says, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in the building up of the church. That word eager literally means zealous. Uh, It it denotes someone who is eagerly devoted to a person or thing. So in other words, Paul's saying, since you are zealots for the spirit, be zealous for building up others through the spirit. Right. Because remember, what was the primary role of the Holy Spirit? What did he do over history? He is the one who spoke through men to write down the word of God. Right. So if you want to be zealous about the spirit, be zealous about the word, the truth of God's word, and speaking and teaching the truth of God's word, not um, an emotionalism that could very well be of a spirit, yeah. as we've talked about. Yeah. But it may not, unless the word of God is guiding the practice, then... You have no way of discerning whether or not this is actually from the Lord. Yeah. And I want to bring in the Old Testament just for a moment because the gift of the Holy Spirit was something that was prophesied in the context of the New Covenant. Mm -hmm. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father. And this is uh, going to be found here in Ezekiel chapter 36, starting at verse 26. This is the prophet Ezekiel prophesying. And these are God's words from his mouth. It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Mm-hmm. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That is to say, a dead heart to a living heart. Mm-hmm. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit is not given so that we can live in a licentious way. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is given for the express purpose of obedience to the word. Right. You know, so one of the issues that we see happening in a lot of these charismatic movements that have been going on for some time now, um, we actually might be on the tail end of these things. Mm-hmm. But one of the issues is, is that these churches claim to be spirit-filled, but they are utterly void of mm-hmm any sort of obedience to the word of God. Yeah, they're not teaching sound doctrine no. at all. And that's the that's the call of the elder to, right. to preach sound doctrine. And the spirit of God is referred to as the spirit of truth. Right. And yet when the Bible is right. pushed aside and we start to discuss any other thing, right. we are in danger of completely making shipwreck of our faith. Right. No, yeah, it's a, it's a very, uh, it's, it's almost an oxymoron to... It is an oxymoron to say we're spirit-filled, yet we are uh, void of the truth of God's word. Right. There's, You may be spirit-filled, but once again, it's not the spirit of the Lord because right. he's the spirit of truth. And it really does speak to something that is very prevalent in our culture, this desire for experience, mm-hmm. you know, this complete... And individualism. Yeah, and I, and I kind of see it... I You know, if you take a step back and you just look at culture... Uh, and by and large, mm-hmm. there's really no hunger for truth anymore. Yeah. You know, we've kind of moved from a, you know, a modern culture to a postmodern culture to a 
post Christian postmodern culture, mm-hmm. um, and you know, essentially, we we've basically come to the conclusion as a society that there is no such thing as truth, and we stopped looking outside of ourselves for it, and now mm-hmm. we've gone inwards. Yeah, and we see this as evident in like the transsexual movement, right? Mm-hmm. Like you are whatever you feel that you are, right. and then all society should really bend over backwards to serve you in the attainment of your truth. Right. To the extent where, you know, I should be paying for your surgeries, you know, like through my uh, my premium every month, you know, yeah. like my bill has to go up because the people in the army now are going to be able to have their surgery subsidized. And I'm just using this as one example. Right. I mean, this is, it's just everywhere in mm-hmm. culture, right? right. Um, you see the, the entitlement, you know, culture. Yeah. You know, the government owes me something. Right. The government has no money other than what they take from other people and give to other right. people. You know? So essentially what you're saying is everyone else owes me something. That's literally what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and so those are just two examples. And I'm not I'm not trying to speak condescendingly, but I'm making an observation in our culture. And our culture mm-hmm. is just really unconcerned with truth at all. Like yeah. we don't care what the objective measure of truth is, if right. there even is such a thing. Like Pilate said to Jesus, yeah. what is truth? Yeah. One is it's everything's been flipped upside down. The lowest form of knowledge that has been taught throughout history and in philosophy and everywhere else that used to be true, the lowest form would be feeling and intuition and experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that we don't experience things, but then we use a standard of truth to to make sense of the experience. Where now you make sense of your own experience and come to your own conclusion. And so, therefore, it leads to a rejection of truth. Mm-hmm. Anything that goes against what you feel you want in that moment, therefore, must not be true. Mm. And that's 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 just not reality. It's a delusion that our culture sits in. We see the extremes of what you just said being yeah. played out in violence towards anything that gets in the way between yeah. me and what I want. You know, um, these are alarming things, and we're mm. not here just to just to contemplate how alarming they are. Let's get to some more truth. Why not? And then let's get to the solution. Verses 13 through 17 really speak of the fruitlessness of these counterfeit gifts, or I'll say it another way, the fruitlessness of counterfeit spirituality in the church. Here's what it says. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue, remember that is the false gift. One who speaks in an ecstatic utterance should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a ecstatic utterance, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Mm. Now that word, arkapos, it's an adjective. It means barren, profitless. It literally refers to any thought or action not originated and empowered by the Lord or not born of faith. And by mm. definition, according to Romans 14, 23, all decisions not born of faith are sin. Yeah. So this is the case, this is the case regardless of how impressive uh, or acceptable what your church is doing may be in the eyes of the world, how big your church is, mm-hmm. right? The Corinthian church was a big church in a big city mm-hmm. full of money, full of all the things that big cities bring with it. It was a very impressive church in, by, by a lot of uh, outsiders sort of standards. Mm-hmm. Um, but Paul's saying it's completely profitless to be involved in the pursuit of these counterfeit gifts yeah. for the church. No one's being built up, Right. So we're not we're not accomplishing the gift or, or the purpose of the church. We're not we're not actually worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth. We're, as Paul said, some of the people in this congregation way back in chapter twelve, 
uh, under the control of the quote-unquote Holy Spirit, literally we're saying Jesus is accursed. Mm-hmm. That's why Paul has to bring this up. He says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> this was coming out of the mouths of these so-called spirit-filled individuals. Right. That does not make any sense at all when you mm-hmm. understand the purpose of the church. Yeah. Which is to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ, right? To evangelize the lost, right? Yeah. And to literally edify the believers. Mm-hmm. And so um, we have to understand that regardless of what the world may, what, what the characteristics of success look like in the world's eyes, yeah, that that metric should not be applied to the Church of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. If you and I've said this before, and I'll say it again: if you look at Jesus' own ministry and life, and you apply the metric of success that the world has to his ministry and life, it was an utter failure. Yeah, the guy died on a cross, mm-hmm. right? He rose again from the dead, but most people in the world don't believe that, right? So we have to understand, brothers and sisters, that we cannot uh, be deceived into thinking that we somehow need to apply the the metric of success that the world uses to judge companies or large organizations and then apply that to the church and go, oh, we're successful. Mm -hmm. What does God think is success in his eyes? Faithfulness, Mm -hmm. period. Hebrews 11, six, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Yeah. (laughs) The outworkings of your faith is faithfulness to his word. That's right. And so we have to just set the record straight. And Paul's Paul's been doing that this entire letter. It's just correction after correction after correction. So verse 15 then says this, what am I to do? Well, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. Mm-hmm. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. And I love this balance here because yeah. what Paul's saying is, I'm not trying to discourage your guys' enthusiasm and your zealousness. Mm-hmm. You should have that. But don't have that by forsaking your mind mm. because then you're not actually loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's right. Right. You're forgetting that critical component. God's word was given to us and it's intended to be understood with the mind. Mm-hmm. Like you said, right. that's what belief is. Yeah. And so, so Paul's balancing this out because I think, Chad, if I would just kind of play, you know, devil's advocate here. Don't be, don't be, just be an advocate. Okay, I'll be the advocate. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, brother. The caricature of most, um, you know, let's just say reformed Christians or yeah. people who are really big on the scriptures, the caricature is, well, you guys just, you guys are miserable. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are emotionless. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I don't know how many times I've said it. I was singing a hymn out of a hymnal a long time ago at MacArthur's yeah. church, just weeping. Yeah. No, that's not true at all. Uh, honestly, the, the scriptures should should stir up in our hearts to such degree that it causes repentance, it causes peace. All the things that scripture tells us, that when we think about what's true, what's lovely, Philippians 4, that the peace of God, mm-hmm. right? The We should rejoice in the Lord and have joy in trial. And, and we should be ones that are seen as reasonable, right? Uh, Philippians yeah. 4, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That word reasonable... Um, has a connotation of being forbearing or rising above trouble. Um, we should be the most joyful, peaceful, loving, um, excited for the Lord people yeah. uh, in the world. And, and just like with any sect or any um, denomination. denomination, are there some that are in those denominations that are not believers or 
who swing the pendulum to being um, stoics and academics. And sure, does that mean that that is the truth of God's word? No. Does that mean that we should not study and love the scriptures? Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Let it not be so, right? Um, so you can't make decisions based upon caricatures. Mm-hmm. We have to make decisions based upon what God's word says. Yeah. And strive to be obedient to the word of God. Mm-hmm. That's where we're going to find hope and that's where we're going to find safety. Yeah. As well. And I can't stress just the element of humility, you yeah. know, because uh, we are all liable to go too far to yeah. one side or the other. Of course. You know? We've all done it. We all do it. Yeah. Um, we have to continue to renew our mind in the text of scripture. We have to continue to repent, confess daily because I don't know about you, but I sin daily. Yeah. And I need to make sure that I take a bath because I don't want to be stinking. You know right. I mean? That's right. And so I love the fact that God is faithful and just to forgive us and mm-hmm. cleanse us of all unrighteousness when we say yeah. the same thing that he does about our sin. Yeah. Right? He's faithful and just. I think what R.C. Sproul has said during his ministry, he's passed away at this point, but he was convinced that what the church had lost was an understanding of God. Mm-hmm. I think you said it on Sunday, like you've seen God for who he truly is. We've lost our lofty view of the majesty of God. Right. And therefore, there's no fear of the Lord. There's no truth, like understanding of the truth. The fear of the Lord, which is right, and the scriptures bring that, produce humility. Mm -hmm. And as James 4 tells us, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Like we have to be humbled before a holy God. Yeah in order to draw near to him. And he's a merciful God too, who draws near to us. It's amazing. Um, Absolutely stunning. So yes, what we're arguing for and what we're trying to do even on this podcast is to bring light to the truth of God's word. Right. And a right view of who God is. Right. We don't war against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual authorities in the heavenly places, the spiritual dark powers of darkness, right? Right. And moving on then in our text here, I I just want to skip down to the last verse in our section today Mm -hmm. because... It says this, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. And Paul has to say this at this point to this church because mm-hmm. they were steeped in wickedness, yeah. in evil. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's just absolutely staggering to understand that these were saved individuals. Mm-hmm. Paul addresses them as saints, but he also addresses them as carnal, yeah. as fleshly, Um the Corinthian example is like, you just don't want to pastor a church like that. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be pulling your hair out, right? But nonetheless, they were used for the glory of God, despite the fact that at the time Paul's addressing them here, they were steeped in evil practices. Mm-hmm. And remember, they were being syncretistic yeah. in their approach, which uh, my professor in Old Testament survey one said, that's the most dirty word in the Bible, syncretism. Yeah, God hates when people try to mix the worship of other gods into the worship of the true God. Just read the Old Testament if you're not sure how God feels about it. (laughs) Yeah, go to the golden calf incident right there. He wanted to kill all the Israelites immediately. Yeah. Uh, God did. Yeah. Right? God himself was going to do that. Well, go before the flood. I mean, it just, God shows that we are to have no other gods before him. Yes. He demands that because he's righteous, he's good. Mm-hmm. And the gifts that he gives the church are meant for the building up of the church in righteousness, mm-hmm. not in evil. And so he says again, don't be children in your thinking. Yeah. Remember, don't forsake the mind so that you can have a sensual type of 
quote unquote spirituality. Yeah. Right. You are no different then than the pagans, mm-hmm. and God has called us to be holy, right. which means separate, be distinctly different because He is distinctly different. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember that, brothers and brothers and sisters, we have to be infants in evil. Mm-hmm. In other words, not knowing evil. Infants don't know a whole lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't know much of anything. Yeah. Right. At least we can't tell. Yeah, that's right. Be infants in evil. But in your thinking, brothers and sisters, be mature. Mm-hmm. Chad, do you have any final words before we sign off today? <clears throat> Maturity comes through humility. <clears throat> and humility comes from seeing God rightly. And we're only going to see God rightly through the scriptures. We see who he is. He's holy. He's sovereign. He's powerful. His wrath is real. Mm-hmm. His justice is real. And so, is his, too, is his mercy. Mm-hmm. Right, so we need to humble ourselves before the cross and come to God on his terms. And the only way we know his terms is through the word of, that he's given us. Mm-hmm. And so just be committed. Your maturity will grow as you're committed to the understanding of the scriptures. Amen. Well, we thank you all for listening to another episode of the Nehemiah Project podcast. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.